재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 There have been no barbarian visitors this year. It used to be that groups of nomads would visit the settlement in winter to pitch their tents outside the walls and engage in barter, exchanging wool, skins, felt and leatherwork for cotton goods, tea, sugar, beans, flour. We prize barbarian leatherwork, particularly the sturdy boots they sew. In the past, I have encouraged commerce but forbidden payment in money. I have also tried to keep the taverns closed to them. Above all, I do not want to see a parasite settlement grow up on the fringes of the town, populated with beggars and vagrants, enslaved to strong drink. It always pained me in the old days to see these people fall victim to the guile of shopkeepers, exchanging their goods for trinkets, lying drunk in the gutter, and confirming thereby the settlers' litany of prejudice that barbarians are lazy, immoral, filthy, stupid. Where civilization entailed the corruption of barbarian virtues and the creation of a dependent people, I decided I was opposed to civilization. And upon this resolution, I based the conduct of my administration. I say this who now keep a barbarian girl for my bed. That was David Tizard of David's Bookmark reading an excerpt from Waiting for the Barbarians by J.M. Kotzea with background music provided by Philip Glass and it was um, Dreamscape number three from the opera Waiting for the Barbarians. And here's David to tell us more about this opera. Good morning, yes. It's a really creepy piece of music, isn't it? Well, a lot of Philip Glass is very creepy music. I I can't say that I'm that well-versed with Philip Glass, but as I was researching around this book and reading and listening as I were, I was just struck by that piece and Mm. how how well it encapsulated that eerie, otherworld feeling of of this book. But yeah, it's really creepy. Mm -hmm. Do, Do you like it, Jamie, that music? I am actually a huge fan of Philip Glass. So, yes, I listen to a lot of Philip Glass, I think my junior year of college. Okay, okay. Yeah, especially the the soundtrack of The Hours. He did the soundtrack. Does it all sound like that? Um, There's a lot of repetition. Yeah. Yes, a lot of very meaningful repetition. That's Um, very typically Philip Glass. Maybe not as creepy. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really struck by that piece, and I just felt that we needed to combine the words of J.M. Kotzea's Waiting for the Barbarians with Philip Glass's music. Mm-hmm. I think it was very effective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here we go. We, we've done something right so far. Let's see if we can right. continue as we've started. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, what brought your attention to Waiting for the Barbarians this week? Well, it, we needed to do some J.M. Kotzia. Mm-hmm. We should establish his name first, shouldn't mm-hmm. we? I yes. say Kotzia. Yes, I say Kotzia too. That's, yeah. that's how my professor at grad school said Kotzea. Well, he'll be happy. Well, she was a very prominent scholar in uh, post-colonial literature, so, okay. so I'm, I'm guessing that mm. she, she knew what she was doing. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to one of my South African friends during the week, oh. and I said, is this all right? Uh-huh. You know, I said, is this all right, Brew? Because it's, it's an Afrikaans name. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we, we needed to get him on the show. Why? Because he's, he's won the Booker Prize twice. He's won the Nobel Prize for Literature, which we'll come to, mm-hmm. and yet we haven't spoken about him yet. Mm, I right. was toying between this and describing 
disgrace, but I chose Waiting for the Barbarians. Mm -hmm. Any reason? Any reason. Why did I choose this one? Because this book, when I read it and when I pick it up, it reminds me of, sometimes I get a little bit personal here, my own position in the world at the moment. Mm. Here I am in Northeast Asia Mm -hmm. and I find myself wearing Western clothes, teaching a Western language at a university, uh, writing Western music and with you here, Jamie, now speaking about this. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how far the empire is spreading. Mm. And the empire is spreading with you? I am the empire inside me or something. Uh I'm not quite sure. But this book deals with the conflict, the conflict or the merge, the combination of what happens when an influential power spreads out Mm -hmm. and when it starts going over each other and overlapping and what happens when those two forces meet and my mother is actually visiting me at the moment and uh, so i'm seeing the world again through naive eyes here Mm -hmm. you know i've got that she's looking at the signs and looking at the gimbap and all these Mm -hmm. things and she's Mm -hmm. got that really sort of bright eyes fresh eyes fresh eyes defamiliarization Mm -hmm. is a fabulous thing so Uh (laughs) that's probably influenced me somewhat i think Mm -hmm. yeah right right and um anyone who has lived in in korea is aware of that that imperial that that sense of imperialism the Mm. the idea of becoming or being a colonial subject yes as opposed to the imperialist right and that power dynamic it's a word that's not really thrown about too much these days mm-hmm. i've noticed it's a word that we traditionally or generally associate with tradition or the past or it's consigned to the the dustbin of the, the vocabulary dustbin you know mm-hmm. we've recycled it along with all the plastics and the glass and certain words mm-hmm. we, we put in there mm-hmm. um so yeah it does have a prominence in korea also in china when i was studying that part of the world i found it interesting how the chinese considered themselves the center the middle kingdom right and you know not the Jungkook, east middle kingdom yeah right not mm-hmm. not the east how we perceive it for our eyes but they were the center of the earth and mm-hmm. everybody outside that sphere of influence was a barbarian was mm-hmm. a, a yamanin mm-hmm. uh, right right yeah so it's very important to this part of the world i think mm, this right. idea of empire right right and also we were uh korea is situated right on the edge right in the margins of the great mm. chinese empire the middle kingdom yeah yes so so we had that sense as well even before japanese colonialism it's the it's the prawn that gets damaged when the whales <laughs> fight isn't it that's that's the one right, for right. korea yeah mm-hmm. well let's talk about um our writer who is from the whale jm kotsia can you tell us a little bit about him i can he's a, a very interesting man he's very hard to describe jm kotsia normally you can go online and, and such forth and find a whole load of information about the writer and interviews and things, and we can play them on here. Dan Kotsir is, is a very enigmatic and charismatic man, and that really reflects his, in, in his writing. Uh, from South Africa, he now lives, I believe, in Australia. I find it very interesting how all the writers we feature leave their country. Mm-hmm. Whether it was Ibsen or Welbeck, or they, they're all moving around mm-hmm. everywhere. Is it because you left your country? Um, You're subconsciously making yeah, subconsciously these, yeah, picking yeah, these people. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, might be, may well be. Um, but Kotsia, he uh, is won so much international recognition mm-hmm. for his work. Mm-hmm. Um, two Booker Prizes: the first in 1983, the second in 1999. He also won the Nobel Prize in 2003. Mm-hmm. He was the first man to actually win two Booker Prizes, and he didn't go and collect his second one. 
I, I'm not sure why, but he just doesn't. Get I already it. have one. Is probably what he was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and but despite being the first man to win another one, he, you know, he's a he's a very standoff man. He, mm-hmm. And he doesn't give away much. In the very few interviews that I've seen with him, mm-hmm. he doesn't give anything away. Mm-hmm. He says, anything you want is in my books. Mm-hmm. And once it's in my book, I'm not going to revisit it or talk about it again. Mm-hmm. So he makes you go and read. Mm-hmm. And he, his books have the same feel as this man. And despite this, he doesn't eat any meat or animals. He's a huge vegetarian, believes in animal rights. So he's a, he's a big hippie at heart, uh-huh. really. Uh-huh. You know, he's this warm hippie, lets human love and right. animals and things. But... You just can't talk to him. Right. Well, we actually have a pretty rare interview of mm-hmm. Kotea coming up later. But before we listen to that interview, let's talk about the book. What is Waiting for the Barbarians about? Well, it's about... A, it's in this timeless, unnamed frontier town on the edge of an empire. Mm-hmm. And it really reminds me in some ways of Star Wars. I don't know why. Maybe I watched a Star Wars trailer recently. That a long time ago... Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, exactly, in a galaxy far away. (laughs) Because this, it's not set in the future and it's not set in the past. It's not set in the heart of the empire or in the barbarian territory. But on this, on the outskirts of Mm -hmm. it. And I find it a really wonderful situation that he's Mm -hmm. created. Mm -hmm. And here on this frontier town, so it's kind of like a Wild West with tumbleweed going and some odd animals scuttling about the Mm -hmm. little place, there is a magistrate who runs this town and he has to protect the little town from barbarians on the outside. And the book starts with him receiving a visit from a Colonel Yol. And Colonel mm-hmm. Yol is from the heart of the empire. Mm-hmm. He's come out to check on the, the magistrate and how he's running this town. And their meeting, the book is about how these two people, who are supposedly on the same side, but one that's been living in the, in the city, in the capital, in the heart of the empire, and the other, the magistrate, the, the protagonist, mm-hmm. the narrator, who's out there amidst the barbarians and how mm-hmm. he keeps control. Mm-hmm. So the book sort of goes between these two men. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more about the world that Kotea creates in this book? It sounds like you said that it's on the edge of the empire and it's like a frontier town. And I feel like um, a lot of the times these settings are perfect for interesting stories to happen. Sure. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really liked about it, because it's a world so much like ours, but instead of the reason why I think this book is said in the past perhaps, instead of adding certain things to the world that we have, which we've seen other writers do, especially Welbeck, what Kotsia does in this book is he takes things away. Mm-hmm. And the book starts with the explanation of something that is so familiar to us in our world. But in this book, it's novel, it's new, and it, it's very interesting. Okay. So can I start with this? Yes, let, yes. let me describe the world. And this is the opening of the book, and this really sets the, the, the scene of it. I have never seen anything like it. Two little discs of glass suspended in front of his eyes in loops of wire. Is he blind? I could understand it if he wanted to hide blind eyes, but he is not blind. The discs are dark. They look opaque from the outside, but he can see through them. He tells me they are a new invention. They protect one's eyes against the glare of the sun, he says. You would find them useful out here in the desert. They save one from squinting all the time. One has fewer headaches. Look. He touches the corner of his eyes lightly. No wrinkles. He replaces the glasses. It is true. He has the skin of a younger man. 
At home, everyone wears them. We sit in the best room of the inn with a flask between us and a bowl of nuts. We do not discuss the reason for his being here. He is here under the emergency powers. That is enough. He picks his way uncertainly among the strange furniture, but does not remove the dark glasses. He retires early. He is quartered here at the inn because this is the best accommodation the town provides. I have impressed it on the staff that he is an important visitor. Colonel Yow is from the Third Bureau, I tell them. The Third Bureau is the most important division of the Civil Guard nowadays. That is what we hear anyhow in gossip that reaches us long out of date from the capital. The proprietor nods. The maids duck their heads. We must make a good impression on him. So it's the colonel who's wearing the sunglasses. Yeah, it's the colonel who's wearing. Is the he sunglasses. evil? Maybe that there's this idea that runs throughout the book of what you can see and what you can't see. You know, it's, it's a mm-hmm. well-worn trope that's used by many writers, but. You have these two characters, the magistrate and the colonel, and who do you side with? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not going to try to give too much away because I really don't like doing that with these books. I want people to go out and read them mm-hmm. and still have so much in there that they can get out of the book without me giving everything away. But there's going to be a point when you read this book, whether you choose. Do you side with the magistrate, who's welcomed this colonel into his, you know, sort of frontier town and showing him the ways? Or do you have sympathy, or do you side with the the colonel, mm-hmm. who is bringing with him sunglasses and civilization and all mm-hmm. these things? Well, I think that I would like based on the very short excerpts that yeah. that I have been、um, privy to so far. I would side with the magistrate because I don't know how I feel about somebody who says everyone wears the wears sunglasses back、mm-hmm. home, as if like this isn't home. This is not like a real place. This is this can't ever be home. Right. But I'm from back home,、and、so where I come from is the real deal. And you can see how novel these things are to the people in the frontier town. You know, even the gossip they say is out of date. It takes so long to reach them, and it's going to erode their culture and their very way of life. This spreading of empire.、Mm-hmm. Right. So、um, let's get to the the very rare interview that we were <laughs>、yeah. we were talking. This took some、about. scouring to find. You know, <laughs>、yeah. I worked very hard for you, listeners.、Uh, how did you find it? I will not give away all my secrets just yet. I will keep okay. some. All right, your but, magical powers. But I will share the results with you always.、Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Let's listen to the interview. Way of the Barbarians, of course, is is set in a very undefined landscape and milieu in which words like white and black actually no longer mean anything, and insofar as liberal, let's say, has a capital L. And has a particular his- historical basis and and provenance. He lives in a time when no one has heard the word liberal, much less knows exactly what liberalism with a capital L is. I tend to think of him rather as a man of、uh, humane values. Is he disillusioned with humane values? No, I don't think he's disillusioned with humane values, but. I think what he does see is that power is capable of using humane values and people who espouse humane values for its own end, and sometimes the people who believe in and act in terms of humane values get used. 
So I like that. I, first of all, beautiful mm. voice. My goodness. It's one. Is, so it's. Is that why he never gives interviews? Because he doesn't want to share his beautiful voice with the world. Perhaps I find it really interesting. I, I agree. He has that very charismatic, uh-huh. very terse way of speaking, very low and deep and slow. But he speaks as he writes. Mm-hmm. When when you read that book, you know. It, obviously, I didn't do the excerpts quite as much justice, but that's the voice in the book. Mm-hmm. That one that we just heard there. Yes, a wonderful voice. I agree. Right. And uh, one thing that really stood out was him saying that power is capable of using humane values for its own. And what did you make of that? I see a great deal of truth in that these days when we see the the pushing of human rights and sanctions and things like this. Mm -hmm. Um, They're humane values, but they are sometimes used in ways that perhaps is not advisable. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're used to provide power or to strengthen power right yeah yeah but i think um often humane values can be massaged in such a way that it seems like the ends is justified Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that consequentialism is is huge and considering this book was written in the very early 80s 1982 Mm -hmm. it seems even hearing him speak there this sort of liberal values and liberal with a capital l and power Mm -hmm. again this the thing about this and and kotsia's writing Mm -hmm. it seems so timeless you know he really finds this thing that's not based in South African apartheid and and this world that he came from where there was divisions of of black and white through power and politics but somehow Kotsia has the ability to go beyond that Mm, he has the ability to make it relevant not just to his Mm -hmm. geographic home or a particular time but still today we can we can sit and look at this book of waiting for the barbarians as something that speaks to any division Mm -hmm. i think maybe one way he does that is by like you said taking things away from our world instead Mm. of adding things to the world that way it makes um, the setting a little bit more universal and applicable to different situations yeah and it just reminds us that perhaps it's where we're coming from rather than where Mm -hmm. we're going to you know it forces us to reflect and and look Back. There's a wonderful series of paintings, actually, that I often so show to my students by a British artist called Thomas Cole. It's called The Course of Empire, and it shows... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a series of five paintings, one, two, three, four, five, and it, it starts off with a very sort of rugged mountainscape, and then it becomes a little bit pastoral, then the economy grows, and then it turns into all sorts of chaos and fire. <laughs> right. And then it sort of resorts back to the first one again uh-huh. with a slight change. And mm-hmm. Thomas Cole, without using any words, but just five paintings, sort of describes what I think Kotsia is getting at in this Waiting for the Barbarians book, that mm-hmm. perhaps behind us more than in front of us is where we should be looking for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it sort of sounds like this uh, cycle of empires, like new empires are created and yeah. then they grow and then they implode and then the next one takes over. And uh, one of the things that's happening in this book is the decline of empire. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, and, and it goes wonderfully with the seasons in this book. Mm-hmm. So as because it's a frontier town and they don't, they've only just got sunglasses you know they're talking about the wrinkles on their faces and such forth and the glare of the sun in such inhospitable landscapes the seasons and nature are really important to them Mm -hmm. they affect their lives unlike in our modern society today when we can have the the mod cons and such forth and we don't realize the temperatures really the the course and flow of empire and the relationship between the people follows 
the seasons around them. Mm-hmm. So as the snow starts to fall, you know, bad things are coming. Right, right. And they're waiting uh, for the death spring is coming. again. Yeah, yes, that's yes. it. So it's all mm-hmm. tied in with nature in that sense. Okay. I just want to say to, to people out there listening, though, if you're perhaps living and working in South Korea, Kotsia is a really interesting man to read. Waiting for the Barbarians, this book that we've talked about today, if you ever feel estranged or contemplative of your place in society, it's fantastic to read. If you work in the education profession, Disgrace is another one of his that I would heartily recommend. He's a brilliant writer. Okay, great, great. Um, we are almost out of time, but before you go, give us a song. Of course, I asked my South African friends this week, oh, you know, what song can I play? Can I play some Koiskun bass or really South African stuff? And despite that, I couldn't get further than this, the original by Bob Dylan all along the Watchtower where he describes a, an unknown group of riders approaching a town. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming in. Thank you. Have a great Sunday. There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief